Welcome to Climactic. I'm one of your hosts, Mark Spencer, but I won't be your host today. Instead, I'm here with... Bronwyn Gresham. Bronwyn, thank you so much for joining me on the show. You are one of our new hosts here on Climactic. Can you tell us a bit about yourself? I guess I I feel really privileged to be one of the the co-hosts now on Climactic. Originally, I had this idea many years ago to start a podcast myself. I started recording some episodes, but they, they stayed in the land of recording device. For we called them in the can. <laughs> I'm learning the technical jargon. They, they stayed in the can for, oh gosh, eight, six to eight months until you came to my rescue. You're like the, the superhero in podcast land who just came <laughs> delivering all this good news on, well, we could edit and produce them. So I feel incredibly lucky to be able to release this, this very first episode. Bronwyn, I, I'm blushing. I'm sure people can hear it in my voice as well. It's such a pleasure to have you on. And so, of course, you come from a very different perspective than, than myself, Rich, and the other hosts. Can you tell us a little bit about your background? Sure, yeah. Look, I, I come from a clinical psychology background, so I've worked as a health professional for around 12 years. And for a large part of that, I've also volunteered with some organisations around climate change and psychology, um, psychology for a safe climate as one of them. And so I've developed this really keen interest for how to bring different stories to life of the various ways that people find their voice in climate change and figure out what their contribution is, but also giving voice to the very real emotional challenges that climate change brings and also how we look after ourselves and how we navigate that journey together. Yeah, so one of the main themes sort of running through your work and your perspective is this emphasis on self-care. So if people aren't familiar with that term yet and what it means, they, they will become more aware of it and also hopefully take it on board and, and do look after themselves. It's so great to have you on board, Rowan, and we're so excited. Can you tell us about this first episode? The first person who we're going to be speaking to today is called Carolyn Inbarsen, and she's most well known within our community as someone who started an organisation called The Lighter Footprints. And I first heard her speak actually at a climate action summit. She was speaking on letter writing. And I found her so inspiring that me, like a complete non-letter writer, started writing letters myself. And I just found that that process was challenging but so cathartic and it was really at that time a a way for me to channel my frustration at the lack of action into my own words and something that then I could share more publicly as a little bit of a platform. So I've had her in my mind over the years and I often internally call her voice up to to give me the, the courage to speak up and to speak out about climate change and so you know, I wanted to see how she got uh, Lighter Footprints up and running, but also just a little bit about her and her life and who's inspired her. And so we really traverse many subjects in this conversation from how she started up Lighter Footprints to dipping her own toes in politics. As a psychologist, this is going to sound so cliched, but as with many stories, they begin with our mothers. And this is where Carolyn's story begins too. 
Hi there, friendly listeners, and welcome to Feeling the Change, a podcast where we explore the intersections between psychology, climate change, and self-care. My name is Bronwyn Gresham, and for this episode, I'll be chatting with Carolyn Invarson. Walking into her home, I immediately felt welcomed. Her home has a warmth and a sense of richness, history, family, and music. Carolyn is most known in our community as the founder of an organisation called Lighter Footprints. I heard her give a talk at a climate action summit many years ago on letter writing to newspapers. Her passion and conviction in the power of written communication inspired me, a non-writer, to start writing letters. And it surprised me how satisfying it was to express my thoughts and an added buzz for the ego when they were published. In this episode, Carolyn shares her journey to becoming an activist, in adverted commas, on climate change, something she was reluctant to take up for many years. And she reflects on some of her challenges, the biggest being contemplating the future, the most unthinkable aspect of climate change, what will our future be like for our grandchildren? And so we begin, as with many stories, this one begins with her mother. Three words to describe me. What? Oh, certainly mother, which is now morphed to grandmother. <laughs> Congratulations. And activist, in inverted commas, and possibly homemaker. Now, I have to qualify. What does activist, in inverted commas, mean? Well, I think in the course of this discussion, you'll probably find that I am a slightly unwilling activist. Interesting. Mm. Well, that has definitely sparked my curiosity. Let's let's begin. Um, tell us a little bit about your journey. I guess my journey began with my mother, who was in her day a surprising science graduate, mm. and she was a zoologist. Mm. So I grew up with a mother who was aware of what was around. I won a prize for a project I did by dissecting an earthworm. And what is in an earthworm? Goodness. Oh, the most amazing stuff. Wow. I couldn't believe it. I never recovered from it. <laughs> and it did. Well, I ended up as a biology teacher. Mm. Uh, so I got my first glimpse of the world mm. because of my mum. I used my mum's microscope and I was able to see things that were mind-blowing. And I used to be out there mucking around with worms and chopping them up, you know. <laughs> oh, poor earthworms. <laughs> <did> that again. <laughs> Look out, Carolyn's coming. She got that from, from her father. So sort of it's, there's oh. a generational thing. Was her father a biologist as well? He was an engineer, but he kept some mud from Malaya and gave it to her when he came back to Australia. And she was working at the university and she uh, put it back into water and discovered a, a little um, arthropod which hadn't been ever described before. That was the, one of the first things I knew was that my grandfather was also a collector and, and mm. interested in minute things that you couldn't see. And also interested in his daughter and, and giving encouraging exactly her curiosity. So. Yes, and yes. Yeah, like she did with you. So, yeah, it is true. It is true. It's, it is a generational thing. Yeah. My brother is a strong influence on me in that he is a sustainability a director of a sustainability institute and he has a really powerful view of the world, mm. which is full of hope. I'm actually the eldest of five and right. I love my siblings Probably more than most other families oh. I know, we are a bonded five. Um, the other influence on me was becoming a biology teacher. Mm. 
beginning to understand the issue about greenhouse gas as a biology teacher, mm. the impact on climate. So I always knew mm. it was there. Probably. And was that taught within your university degree? Was it no? Was that with it? So the greenhouse gas did and... zoology and botany, right. and neither of them even mentioned it. Wow. But as a biology teacher, mm. I had to learn a whole swag of stuff under mm. the web of life, which is what I taught in Victoria at the time. Mm. Certainly, and there were views even then. No, 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 no. It's all bull. So it was never driving force, mm. and that was right through the. Seventies uh, and eighties. So, were there times when you might have, in your own curiosity, tried to raise that conversation with people, and it, it might have been shut down? Or no, at that stage, absolutely not. It was not on the radar, right? For me, yeah. I mean, I'm. I know that CSIRO was doing work on it in those years. I know my brother. I have a tape that my brother did at the time. My brother, by the way, is called. Peter Newman, so some people mm. will know him mm. very well, I should mm. imagine. I have a, t- have a tape yeah. of, of him looking very young, which has <laughs> headed up the greenhouse effect. Wow. And that was in 1976. But I guess your focus was on your early stage career being a teacher, for me, was becoming a psychologist, you know, that right. something might be have been in the background, but yes. the energy was on profession development and just doing the job. Absolutely so. And I loved being a biology teacher. It was such a gift to be able to talk about what was around you and open kids' eyes to what they were seeing. Mm. It was an absolute gift. And I, I, I miss it to, to this day. So mm. my poor grandkids, I have a microscope in my kitchen. I was just going to say, it sounds like you've, <laughs> you've adopted that quality from your mum too. I have a microscope just like my mum did, <laughs> a better one than she had. And uh, it, it sits in there and the kids will say, what's this, Grandma? And I'll be able to just say, let's have a closer look at that. Oh, wow. And it's, it's always amazing, anything yeah. that you can expand under under kid size. Top of my Christmas wish list, microscope. Look at the world as a, an amazing thing mm. that comes out of biology mm. and trying to understand how all the things link together and mm. you knock one bit out and the whole lot tumbles. Mm. So all of that, in a way, has led to me when I went to see Al Gore's film, An mm-hmm. Inconvenient Truth, in 2006, mm. having retired mm. and taken up a creative writing course. Mm. Oh, wow. Complete. Which is what wow. I always wanted to do and, and mm. uh, I was having a lovely, lovely time. And these friends took me to the Al Gore's film and I thought, oh, God, do I want to go and see this? No, I do not. What was and, the reluctance, though? Because that surprises me, given I guess how fascinated you were with biology uh, look, and the into a, what was what what do you think that was about? I thought more political here. Ah, uh, yeah. This is this is going to be something. You know, I knew who Al Gore was. Yeah. I was a, a sort of fan in many ways, but I I was not uh, I was not into 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 climate change or activism or anything, and. I suppose, now that you mention it, it might have been a fear that I might have to. Mm. <laughs> I didn't want to buy into it. Mm. I had a nice life. Mm. Thank you. <laughs> Very nice life because I, I'd stopped working and I was well, you were finally really living your dream doing of this creative wonderful writing. stuff. Mm. So I watched this film and 
Afterwards, the group of us went and had a cup of coffee together and bumped into another friend of mine who had been there. He said to me, you're doing a writing course, aren't you? Write me a piece about Al Gore's film and I'll put it in the local news. I said, oh, Jesus, Bill, no, (laughs) I don't want to. (laughs) He said, get a life. This is, do it. You got right tomorrow night, deadline. (laughs) <laughs> this was the first time I'd felt that this was something I didn't want to write about. But when I sat down to do it, mm. I found the words came. Mm. And, of course, doing a writing course means that you do tap into something. You are in the mode of mm. trying to express something with meaning and mm. in not too many words and mm. with a bit of passion. Yeah. And I said, I was terrified by this film, yeah. terrified. And I thought, there must be other people who feel like this out here in our community Mm. and they don't know what to do either. Mm. And uh, maybe if you feel like I do and you think that together we might do something that we can't do on our own, Mm. call me. Mm. And I got 12 phone calls. Wow. And those phone calls, I said, come and have a drink. And we got together as a group of 12 with a champagne and celebrated the fact that we'd got together (laughs) and within two hours we formed this group. Mm, And the group is called? The group is called Lighter Footprints. It's such a beautiful phrase and name. And it's had a resonance that relates to that that name that we all love. Mm. It took a while to get it. We went through your green (laughs) neighbourhood. So hard to come up with names of things, though. Like, oh. It was amazing that we stumbled upon this by looking for a website name, you know, Mm -hmm. getting the right. Mm -hmm. And we found that we could, this was, and we said, yeah, 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 that's it. Perfect. So that group, apart from those who've died and moved on, is still there. Wow. So we have the original people who turned up Mm. are still the group. This is now 13 years. I think it's so, um, important to tell the audience a little bit about your group because I've unfortunately I've only attended one of the meetings, although I always delight in getting the emails and reading who you're inviting to the groups and what kind of discussions are having uh, are being had at these groups. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so yeah. it was so valuable even that just one meeting I went to. So tell the audience a little bit about. Okay, uh, it, it's grown over time. We initially just met as a small group in our in my house and and talked about what we might do in our own environment, our mm. own homes, mm. our own lightening our own footsteps. What do you do? Mm. We then went into the neighbourhood house where we had a little bit more space and we invited experts to come and chat with us every now and then. Mm. And still we worked at at our own impact. Then we started to understand that this impact was impinged by a range of bigger issues that mm. were controlled outside by by state governments and then by, well, in fact, national and international. Mm. So we learned mm. that a lighter footprint was related to a much networked mm. l- w- way of living mm. and influence. And so what we did was decided that we'd, we'd try and get individual speakers to come mm. on a regular basis and as we did that so numbers began to grow mm. and 
We would go to festivals with stalls and mm. talk about green power. Is it this new exciting thing in those days? Yeah. 2007 and 8 and 9. Trying to think about how you could uh, influence others to, to sort of join the bandwagon. And over the years, we just fell into the pattern of finding interesting people to give us another view of what a lot of footprint meant to them yeah. and how we might f- further it. So we've covered, mm. you You wouldn't believe the range of topics. I bet. It's amazing <laughs> for, from, you know, permaculture and, and agricultural impacts of carbon dioxide and the research on it and stuff right through the business of um, lobbying and electricity and energy and Mm. batteries, which we did last week. And it is individual psychology. It's Mm. about personal growth. It's about how to have conversations. Mm. And it's, we know, the deniers. How do you deal with those? What's Mm. it? And it's out of that we grew... Uh, how do you communicate with others? And letters to the newspaper became an issue. Mm-hmm. So we write a lot of letters to the papers, many papers now, about four or five different papers that pick up letters from us mm-hmm. and a group of about 50 people who over time throw in a letter here and there and build that base. So mm. monthly meetings is what we have and we get 50, 60 every month and the other thing that we did is we said, this is not big enough. We need to go bigger than this. We need to be able to build a, a place in this community which is recognised. So we would hire the town hall in Hawthorne and in Box Hill and invite high-profile speakers, largely because we're in the electorate of, of Josh Frydenberg mm. and we were able to build a good relationship with him, which then meant he always came mm. if we asked him. And as one of the speakers, this was always a, uh, an important base. So mm. we started filling halls and we've probably mm. done, there's about six that I can think of, quite mm. big. Packed. Between, yeah, yeah, five to, to 600 people will come yeah. to these sorts of forums. We now know how to run them pretty well. Did you feel like you're a natural organiser or did you have to learn a lot of skills along the way? I think I'm a pretty natural organiser uh, in the sense that I can see what's possible and then work out what you have to do to get there. But, of course, you have to have good relationships with the, your group. Mm. You, you you can never do anything like that on your own. Mm-hmm. It's totally dependent on getting a group of, you know, you really need for a big forum at least a dozen people who are working hard. Yeah with you yeah. on spreading the word, on getting mm. things designed and printed, mm. leafleting, getting on the radio. It's not easy to fill mm. hall at the best mm. of times. In fact, <laughs> well, our, our local member topic. says that he, he doesn't easily fill a hall, but he knows we do. And especially on the topic of climate change, particularly yes. hard to fill a hall. Can I take you back a little bit? Because some of the things that you've spoken about are really interesting around when the group initially formed and over a period of time trying to really enact and embody what a lighter footprint means as an individual and then you came to a point where you realised that there are limits and that there's this kind of then this tension brought in, you know, I, I want to have a lighter footprint but I'm restricted somehow. And has that tension shifted or changed over the years or do you feel like that's still quite a big part of the work? 
Well, it is It is interesting. Most of our work is now political lobbying of various sorts. Mm. There's very little work we do on our own footprint because it's kind of like done as much as we can. Yeah. It is not true for new members, however. So we have to make sure that we revisit that. So our mm. last one was about batteries and whether you need... What does batteries mean for mm. those of us who are interested in and getting the solar power up and just to finish that yeah. about the tension between the, your own needs and mm. how to refurbish your house and mm. all of that and, uh, and the bigger political issues is that when you do have new people, they often tend to be starting where we started or they are entirely political mm. and they haven't really addressed their, mm. their home thing. So we get a bit of mm. dissonance in new members. And how you deal with new members is always tricky. Mm. So you you do have to think. uh, And what we do is we always have part of the night where you just mill about and we always have food and drink in very nice amounts of beautiful food. It is so important. So we do that before the meeting, halfway through and at the end. I'd finished working as biology teacher actually in the mid-80s where I then worked in the public service for another 20 years. One of those accidental things that happened where you get offered a job and I worked in the office of the Director General for two years as a secondment, at the end of which, instead of going back into the school, Mm -hmm. I went on into the public service. And I didn't quite realise that I was making a dramatic career change. I just thought I was doing something a little bit different for a short term. And once you've made that shift, it's almost impossible to go back. Yeah. So I ended up being a puppet servant in uh, in the state government, a little bit in the federal as well, but the state government. And it taught me a huge amount, hmm. much of which I use hmm. as part of the work that I do now. Hmm. What kinds of things do you think? I think the interesting thing, is that I learned how to work with disparate groups. I was working in what was called Business Victoria in those days and had various name changes over time. I stayed in this one job for 10 years and I worked Mm. with the whole range of players who weren't talking to each other, Mm. but they were talking to me. So it was probably the people component that you really loved. I loved it. And the challenge. And I I found... this is the first time I kind of learned about, well, not the first time, but I did learn increasingly that you get information from along a whole wide range of people and you have to weigh up how much of this do mm. I let other people know. Mm. And in the end, it's that kind of balancing act that I mm. find myself doing now. Many different players, many different views, mm. many different levels of mm. you know, hierarchy of who's in control of what. That's probably the trickiest part of, mm. of, of being uh, where I am now. But I learned such a lot about that mm. in government, uh, where as a public servant, you work for government, but with an industry. Mm. And you constantly got in the back of your mind, I'm here to kind of protect the minister's back, give him information, give him stuff that'll make things work Mm. at a state government level. Mm. And John Brumby was my minister. And I worked with an industry that was complex Mm. and built a supply chain industry that wasn't there before. Wow. And so for me, that was... 
that was the best, you know. That yeah. was the, the greatest part of being exposed to complexity is recognising that you can actually make a difference. Yeah. And do you feel that way now? I guess I'm, I'm thinking within the complexity often and maybe some of the people within your group identify with this also, but there's just that sense of there feels like there's so much to do and it can be hard to know what is having an impact and that can either lead you to doing everything or having choice paralysis and not doing anything. And, like, what do you feel like makes the biggest impact? The thing I have discovered over time is that I've got less and less certain mm. about what's the best thing and the right way. So I'm prepared to listen to almost anything that anybody has a view about just to poke it and see because I am of the view that certainty is a killer. That's one of the reasons I'm a slightly unwilling activist because I do sometimes come up against those who would describe themselves as activists without the inverted commas and I draw back mm. because I have this view that things are more complex than they're making out to be mm. and I wish that I were able to share their single-mindedness and mm. focus. And in many ways, I absolutely love what they do. Mm. I can't do it myself. Mm. Uh, do you feel like as you've gone through this journey, has having uncertainty or not knowing become easier to bear or tolerate? Yes. Um, How do you do that? I think it's because I, I did start out pretty uncertain and within a little time, I thought, no, in order to make any progress here, you've got to be absolutely clear what it is you're on about and you, mm. you, you fight really hard and you just don't get distracted. Mm -hmm. uh, nah. That motto's changed. <laughs> didn't work. <laughs> well, well, did it not work uh, at all? Oh, yeah. I mean, what you do is you... In the end, what I did is I focused on process. Yeah. I don't know if it's good or bad. I have no idea. But for me, it's about the people and what the people want to do and how to make that work. And we found things people like to do and they wanted to run stalls at the festivals. So we've done that ever since. And we always find people who love to come along mm. with something and a, a form in their hand and a mm. letter to sign and... Mm and an engagement mm. and, and a big model of a solar power station mm. out there that you can talk about and the mm. kids come and that's their contribution. And, you know, it was about what do you want to do? Well, I don't know what I want to say, but I would like to be involved in the process, in the, in the, in the discussion with people. What's going through my mind now is you seem to be someone who can go with the flow. You know, even going all the way back to the, going to the Al Gore movie, you went with the flow. Writing the letter, you went with the flow. Like it keeps opening up different doors for you. This is true. Mm. This is true. Uh, I think the the risk is that you're all over the place. Mm. And so I do have mm. to ask myself, so what's this about? What are we trying to do here? And that that is where huh. you, sta you stand back and, and focus on the aim of this specific something. Yeah, so you might notice the tide's going in one way, but before you jump on a boat and move with it, you do actually take a bit of an assessment of, hmm, is that the direction I want to go in? Is Yeah, it's not like you're going with the flow in a haphazard kind of way. It sounds like you kind of, you are making some very conscious decisions. I think it's important not to be bossy. Mm -hmm. And whilst I've been the one that's been the key both to setting it up and keeping all the meetings going and 
getting the you know, I'm retired. I, it's my life. It's my focus. That that is not everybody else's. They mm. there's no one else who has as mm. much time and energy mm. devoted to this group as mm. I do, and therefore I'm in a much you know I'm in a potentially very dominant position. Mm. And so what I think has been successful has been the fact that I don't really know the answers Mm. and I am delighted that somebody thinks they would like to contribute in a particular way and do something. And I said, do it. Go for it. You're kind of moral and practical support. It's a very low-level structure. We didn't Mm. incorporate or anything for 10 years. We we just were a group of people that did things. And and there was no bossy boots so much as... I can do this, what can you do? Let's divide it up. It's kind of okay. a, quite an enabling I think so. about I, you. I think it's one of the keys is to our longevity is mm. is that it's been fun to be around because mm. people have not been required to do anything. Yeah. It's supportive. Mm. And most of us have the capacity to laugh. Mm. It's been amazingly good to get together. And uh, I know when we... Meet. We have committee meetings in my house. Often, my husband. Says, I've never heard a group that's supposed to be working laugh so much. <laughs> we'll have to record one of your sessions. It sounds fabulous. Because I mean, you, you come across quite as a quite vibrant individual, and I'm wondering, are you always this vibrant? And, and it, like, have you always got this passion, or are there you know times when you feel a bit well, exhausted? I, I don't think so. It always because I'm looking at myself quite differently. I'm yeah. always surprised. My family. When I say, well, I'm a bit shy about saying that sort of thing, they say, pardon? So I actually am. You know, Mm. I I don't naturally. And I admitted to another friend in the movement the other day that I was not a natural networker, Mm. that I don't go into a room and I can't work it the way Mm. some people do. Mm. I just find someone I feel comfortable with and burrow it down (laughs) talk to that person Mm. and I'll come out knowing things I didn't know before I can do that Mm. but I'm I'm not really that kind of wild outgoing style of person Mm. although my family says I have a strong image of some sort (laughs) (laughs) do you consider yourself a natural born leader I'm a particular kind of leader yeah and I think that's true no matter what I've done, mm. it's it's just not the right out there mm. one. I did get a at one stage. I had an opportunity to stand for for parliament for the the Labor Party actually mm. um, many years ago, uh, and at that time I was seriously considering it because mm. it was a nice thing mm. to have as a potential. For, yeah, and I was unable to follow through on it because. I got into a position where a, a group of women became quite hostile to me, mm. and I couldn't handle it. So I thought, ah, this is not this is not for me. When you say you couldn't handle it, what was the um, difficulty? I couldn't cope with public criticism from women who were in the same field as me. Yeah, I was working in it's feminist stuff is a bit like that, yeah. where there were the true believers and the true rules. Mm. And if you didn't follow those, if you worked with men, if you worked in a mm. situation that was a bit more complex, which mm. is what I've always done, to be publicly and, and privately criticised in the way in which I was, demolished me. Yeah, I, I guess. just pulled out. Yeah. I pulled out. I said, I can't do it. Yeah. Uh, it kills me. I mean, it, I well... And, I mean, it's tapping into a very wise part of that brain. When we're being attacked, you don't stay in 
in the space of attack, you move away. You move to safety, whether that's mental Well, I think a lot of politicians almost thrive on it. They say, I must be doing good because I'm being attacked. I couldn't handle that. It's something that I think a lot about myself because I've always thought, oh, maybe I could be a politician, but it's that culture that frightens me and I think it's almost like if you're being attacked, the only way to cope is if you stay in the situation is to attack back and then you get um, those debates that you witness in Parliament happening around each side attacking each yeah. other. And I think when that's not your nature or leadership style, it's really off-putting. And it's, I mean, just from the conversation that we've had today, you know, your leadership style around listening to others and being open to diversity and uh, diverse opinions and then trying to be guided in what you do through other people. You know, you, you're someone who's kind of more blending and interested in other people as opposed to critiquing or attacking or seeing them as good or bad. And I think one of the things I really do like doing mm. is keeping all the diverse members within the group talking to each other mm. because they get very cross with each other and will easily stomp off in, in a fury and say, it's, well, that's the end of that. So yeah. then I have to go back and say, so what's going on here? You return to it. <laughs> that's such a loss of our political system that that happened. And I... But I, I I sense that a lot of people who do become more public profiles do get exposed to that nastiness, Mm -hmm. that nasty human side that I'm sure we all have, but some people are very much more explicit and vocal. And I see it as a weakness as well in Mm. the sense that I will not expose myself to that kind of risk Mm. because of knowing that we'll not be able to sleep, I won't be able to function properly. I don't have that steeliness that I have seen other leaders have. So there's a there's a limit to what you can do. Are you able to sit with that in a particular way that doesn't then, you don't attack yourself for having that weakness? Look, probably I'm a bit critical. I wish that I were a bit different, but I don't beat myself over it. What Mm. I am able to do is say, well, I can get up in front of a hall of 600 people and and manage that group and I can have three politicians sitting on the stage and I can say, why aren't you three talking to each other? Mm -hmm. Give us a life. Is there anyone in this room who I can... can I can do that, you know. Yeah, so you don't kind of stay focused on what you can't do. You shift your focus on what you can do and what your skill set is. So I've got a different set of skills. Any other challenges? I'm sure there's many and we could sit here for hours, but like what comes to mind is probably the main challenges. Um, Well, one of my big challenges is trying to work out, uh, first of all, who to trust. Mm. (laughs) There's an awful lot of people in in this movement who have strong views and would like you to be doing this, that and the other. And, And I get a lot of people who would like to use lighter footprints in various ways and for various purposes. And I oh. have to keep thinking, what what's right here and mm. you know, how do I weigh that up? Because in a way, it's sort of in my hands. And the other thing, of course, is the role that I play with being seen as the voice of mm. lighter footprints politically. Mm. So I do talk to politicians mm. and... In some cases, I do it privately on both email and text and the extent to which that is private and the extent to which that is something I need to share. Mm. Often ask, so tell me, what what do you think? Mm. And I will have to weigh up how I speak and what I Mm. say 
based on what is public and what is private. And of course, then I have to talk to my own troops who feel that I'm morally obliged because I'm only in that position because of them, because of being the you leader kind of, of that You kind of are like troop. a politician, really. You've got your own political party here, Ladder of Footprints. Well, that's <laughs> right. It's a body of some some power in a local electorate. Yeah. It's a It's got influence. And so um, kind of separating out your own individual thoughts and feelings, then that has to be kind of cross-checked with well, it's, the lighter it's, footprints it's voice. More, it's more not my own individual thoughts and feelings. It's much more about building a personal relationship based on the fact that I'm not just me, I'm the convener of this group. Mm. And yet I am me. I was and just so, going to say, are you ever just you? Oh, I'm always confused by that distinction in this particular role. I always have been me in all the other roles Mm. that I've played, but Mm. in this case, it's an honorary job. Mm. (laughs) It is quite fearful to think that you might misuse it in some way. Mm. Well, misuse it in the the sense that you can speak on behalf of lighter footprints when you Mm. don't have that authority or that you have access to information that belongs rightfully Mm. with all those people, Mm. but you've been given it in confidence Mm. or you've been given it in a way that makes you feel like that was for me, that a trusted statement. Mm. It sounds like you've got a very strong ethical and moral code, I think. (laughs) it's in, And a lot of self-reflection and self-awareness. I feel like Light of Footprints is in very, very safe hands. But are you allowed to make mistakes? Well, I I hope so because I often do. I mean, <laughs> phew, <laughs> I do. Um, you know, I've just bungle along, and 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 in in the course of a meeting, I'll say, "Well, I got that one wrong." <laughs> Great. Oh, and the ability to like own up. And you're, I mean, you're smiling and laughing now. I know the listeners can't see your face, but there's a, there is a lot of playfulness, and and you said before, like laughter and just the capacity to see things. I know, pardon the pun, but in a lighter way. And it's not in a dismissing way at all. It's more in a just a very human way. If I didn't get rewards in terms of the pleasure that comes from working with a group of people you really enjoy and and laugh with and admire and Mm. respect, Mm. if I didn't get that, I wouldn't do it for the to save the world Mm. sort of thing. I haven't got a really Strong again. I know that activists will will die in a ditch for it because mm-hmm. that is so important that mm-hmm. you know we've got one earth and we have to do it this way. And mm-hmm. and I will attach myself to a bulldozer here. Mm-hmm. And that I have huge respect for mm. and admire it in them. I don't have it. Mm. I haven't strapped myself to a bulldozer. Well, and you don't have to have it. I think that's well, kind of that, representing that the diversity. That be true. I do see it, as a again, as a weakness, as right. not having the strength to do that. <laughs> At the same time, the fact that I don't means that I have a different kind of skill and I can do other things that perhaps the activist can't. Exactly, exactly. Thank you so much for sharing such... A journey of your life. We could go on for hours. We, we might could. need to crack open a bottle of wine yeah, and some cheese and bickies yes. or something. <laughs> um, it's been an absolute delight to have this conversation with you, Carolyn. I just really appreciate your honesty and the time that you've spent with me today. Well, I've loved it. I feel very privileged that you asked me.
Oh, thanks, Carolyn. Thank you. All right. See, so take care. Do we end? I think we just end by saying we will be in touch. We are, <laughs> we are part of the crew that makes Slider Footprints work. <laughs> All right, so we're back in the studio with me and Bronwyn, also known as Bronwyn's car today. And so, Bronwyn, the original intent with with Feeling the Change, what the podcast was going to be when you did this, was that you would be talking to people about their experiences and how they took care of themselves and how they related to the massive topic that is climate change. And then at the end of an interview, you'd actually draw out a couple psychological lessons or psychological features of that talk. So you've done that for the Caroline interview. So can we hear a little bit about what you thought about the interview? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there was there was so much gold in that interview around how Caroline has figured out ways to look after herself. But I guess a theme that really stood out to me was how she was moving towards accepting her own activist style, how there were these moments of critiquing herself as somehow doing something wrong or not being worthy because she she didn't want to, you know, chain herself to bulldozers or engage in that direct action, but then moving towards, you know, that healthy perspective of acknowledging one's own limits and boundaries and preferences and honouring that she still had something meaningful to contribute, that she could activate her own skill set and that that was good enough, that we don't all have to be the same. And I think that her capacity to be aware of her own inner critic and then shift her focus to what she can do is such a valuable psychological skill. Something that I strive to, you know, try to embody myself. So I understand, Bronwyn, that, you know, this interview was done for what was going to be your earlier show. Thank you so much for bringing it to Climactic. And we really hope that, you know, down the track, maybe not in the too distant future, that feeling the change can be can be a thing out there in the world as well. But because you've done this recording long before meeting up with us and hearing about Climactic, I understand you've got some people involved that helped you get this to this stage already that you want to thank. Yeah, I'd really firstly love to thank Carolyn uh, for her warmth and openness. I'd also love to thank Carolyn's son. Thank you so much for lending us your studio and recording equipment. And thanks to Brad Armstrong, who encouraged me and supported in developing, you know, the first edit of this episode. That's lovely, Bronwyn. Thank you so much for bringing this to us today. And we're so happy to have you with us in Climactic. You've been listening to a production of the Climactic Collective, a group of storytellers dedicated to bringing you stories from the climate change community. We love working with individuals and groups in their local community doing great work on climate change and sustainability. And if you'd like us to work with you to produce a story, just get in touch at hello at climactic.fm or on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Climactic Show. The Climactic Collective is Mark Spencer, Rich Bowden, Maxine Baisley, Georgia Scheel, and Bronwyn Gresham. Our producer is Hazel Fidicaro. Thank you for listening, and if you enjoyed this show, please spread the word. Independent shows like ours really need word of mouth from our listeners in order to grow. And if you had the time to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, we'd greatly appreciate it. Thanks and have a great day, and we'll be back next week. The Climactic Collective. This show is produced by Hear Media, a boutique audio agency in Narm, Melbourne. To learn more and get in touch, head to hearmedia.studio. That's H-E-R-E media.studio.